This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 761, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands and wearing their masks and being good. Thank you. Malakilikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know. Hello, welcome to Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 761. It's our final episode of the year. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. This is my co host, Josh Flanagan. Hello, everyone. And we are iFanboy. And every week, every week of this year, every week for the past 15 years, we read our stack of comics. One of us picks the one they like the best. We call it the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books of the week, the patron pick. Listener mail sometimes. We have a special segment this week. We'll get to that later. It'll be fun. Here's your spoiler warning. There'll be some spoilers. Exercise some caution. This week, with the final pick of the year, Josh Flanagan goes out on brand, grumpy and angry about comics. It was not a good week. It was, it was, like, it was like a three-star week. Interesting. You know, maybe two and a half. Wow. Just in general. You having a bad week? No. No, actually. I, you know what's funny is I didn't really not enjoy my comics. I, I read them pretty early. I got through all of them. It wasn't sort of too many or not enough. And, and like, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll write up that list and send it over to Connor. And, like, Thursday night I was like, I have no idea what the pick should be. Like, I had to write everything down and stare. Mm-hmm. And then, so what we end up here is Neil Gaiman's North Missile. Ugh. Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology, <laughs> number three. I didn't know I had a speech impediment, but there it was. Yep. Because a combination of I'm very interested, it was over, and I thought, oh, I want more of that. Mm-hmm. I think I get excited when I see it now. We have been enjoying it. This is the yeah. adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology book by P.K. P. Craig. Wow, I have the same problem. You do. P. Craig Russell. This is early. These are literally the first hundred words I've spoken today. P. Craig Russell. This issue features art by Peter Kowalski, who is terrific. And I, I, did I like enjoy that this somewhere issue. someone doesn't call him P, like he's Paul or Pete or something like. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's like uh, I was just talking to someone, and they they were talking about J.M. DeMatteis, mm-hmm. and they called him. I think it was Mark, and I was like, "Who? Oh, his name's not J.M. Right? Or yeah. like J. Michael Straczynski? People would call him Joe. But anyway, that's a thing that happens in literature and comics, I guess." And the amazing name, Lovern Kinzierski. Kinzierski. And Galen Showman. That's also, this is all great names on this book. It's true. It's true. Neil Gaiman's the only one sort of like, all right, fine, Neil. <laughs> he has to be content <laughs> with all of his money and his lovely voice. So it's, it's interesting, this book, that you can, you can obviously see how it, it's actually, I think it's taking after the Marvel version of Thor to a certain extent. If you look at Odin's, you know, helmet and sort of the way that Thor and Loki are drawn. It's not inconsistent with the Marvel versions that we know. Well, Thor's a redhead, which is a, which is a yeah. Norse history, which makes sense. 
He's not even in this book. He's off on an adventure, which is why there's so much trouble. Right. And, but it's different enough and sort of know, like, oh, we're telling like more of a straight up mythology, uh, you know, from, I was going to say history, but what do you yeah, call history? Yeah. yeah, sure. They were real. Oral, mm-hmm. oral history or, or written sort Don't of. Don't tell any of your Viking friends they weren't real, Josh. More textual stuff. Anyway, so we got here one of those sort of cool little myths, you know, like the, the little morality tales mm-hmm. that we that we sort of all grew up with that I, I don't tend to think about anymore. But, you know, all those little stories, either from the Bible or from, you know, Greek mythology, or in this case, North mythology, you know, where... You keep calling it North mythology. Norse. Norse. I think I'm cutting off the word before I finish it rather than mispronouncing it. That's all right. You can mispronounce it, too. Either way is fine. I prefer not to. I don't really have that kind of lisp as far as I know. Things develop as you get older. Let's talk about what this myth is. So the idea here is that they have to protect Asgard, and they need to put up a big wall, which, (laughs) topical. Well, because Thor's off on a giant quest to fight the trolls, which is a great opening page. Yes. And Asgard is unprotected. Now Odin is getting antsy because Thor's not around to protect them. So it so happens that a random builder <laughs> walks up there with his horse, and he's like, I heard you need a wall. I can build you a wall. And, and Odin's like, I'm listening. <laughs> Actually, he literally says, go on. <laughs> and he says, all right, I can do it. It's, it's, it. Basically, at first, there were logistical concerns about the wall. Well, obviously, yeah. That's going to take years. You know, we can't. who's going to pay for this wall? And this guy says, hey, no, 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 no. It's going to take one season. That's important. In Norse mythology, apparently, a season is winter or summer. It's really yeah. more of a half, a semester. Yeah. He says he can but, build it three seasons originally. And then they, he says he can do it three seasons. Talk about a one. And for that, what he wants is he wants Freya for his wife, and she's not pleased about this at all. <laughs> See, he has a big nose and some huge teeth, so maybe that's a thing. But look at those arms, though. And then he also wants the sun and the moon. He's asking a lot. He's asking a lot. It's a high quote. He's opening with a high bid on what he needs for this job. Well, he's, he's definitely, uh, you know, betting on the fact that there aren't going to be any competing bids, <laughs> I think, you know, because he'd, he'd probably bring that down. And then they're like, well, we can't do this. And Loki's like, but hold on. Let's tell this bitch that if he can't do it, is going to be great, that if he can't do it in one season, then uh, we don't owe him anything. And, uh, and, and it'll, it'll be all good because there's no way he can do that. And then we'll just build on what he didn't finish. It's perfect. And it turns out that he could do it. What's funny is when he, when he proposes it and they, he leaves to let the, the court discuss it, they're all like, mm, maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, that was, that was probably the best like, pages of it. What the fuck? I'm not marrying this guy. Like yeah. who? And they're just ignoring her. And it was a great little look at gender roles in ancient yeah. Norse mythology. She's like, I'm not doing this. And they're like, well, ho- hold on. We need that wall. And then, of course, as Josh says, he starts to build the wall, and he proceeds, starts performing all these impossible tasks. He, he starts, he's only got himself and his horse, and they're gathering the rocks, and they're building the wall. The, all of them are watching him build, and they're all like, well, he's never going to do this. Well, maybe he is doing this. My, I think my favorite part is, that, like, it's, it's funny because it's so rudimentary from a con- – it's, it's almost like a cliche of what this story would look like. So he gets out there in the morning. And he's got his shovel and he's looking around and there's sort of people in the doorway watched him. He spits on his hands, <laughs> he shoves the he shoves the shovel into the ground, and then it's like it shows him like you know moving, moving at super speed. It's just it's very silly. Every time that they showed the guy working, I thought it was delightful because you know he's just he's just going at it for a long time, and he's got a great horse, and he doesn't seem too upset about it. He's not taking breaks. No, he doesn't have his little radio out there playing classic rockets. I'm just saying it's hard to find a good contractor, and I appreciate what this guy's doing. I've had construction outside of my apartment for since the pandemic began in some form or another, and I've heard all the classic hits. All of them. I've heard them all. I think one of the funniest things about those guys is that they have specific, like, DeWalt radios <laughs> that, that, are ma- that match the, the uh, style of their power tools mm-hmm. instead of just a regular one. Anyway, we're getting off of it. I thought this was... A lot of fun. I liked Freya's growing exasperation and hatred of the court as they don't seem to care about her end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. I think she Odin's wife. That's what I was thinking, but they didn't they didn't really quite frame it yeah, that the, way. The Norse were open minded. They were like the early French. Yeah. 
Peter Kowalski's art was terrific. Yep, perfect. Great character work, great acting, very solid storytelling. Like you said, the whole sequence where he's building the wall, you know, it's all really great as time passes. You know, this is not a one-part story. It's there's a cliffhanger, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. With it, just it kind of feels like classic comics. Like you could have bought this in the '50s, or you could have, you know, more, you know, more or less, or or at any point. Like these, they're just making comic books, you know, using a myth and and doing the thing. And I and I really do. I wasn't super excited about it, like right at first, and then that first issue was kind of fun. And then each time they come out now, it's a little. I, I feel like that's what Dark Horse does. Dark Horse has like one book at any given time that comes out. Like, oh, oh, that's a good one. You know, I can go with it that way. And the thing is, these are great stories. I mean, Norse and well, mythology well told. is yeah. full of great parables like this, like any like any of the old. Yeah, as you mentioned, parables before from various four sources, and Neil Gaiman is very good at you know telling those re- retelling those stories. And then P. Pre- wow, P. Craig Russell comes on. This is the last show of the year because neither one of us can talk. P. Yeah. Craig Russell comes oh. along and you know, does a great adaptation of it. So I, I thought this was a lot of fun. Yep. It, you you it sent the list was. through and I was like, huh. But then I went, you know what? I get it. Yeah. It, you know, in a, in a, in a week where not a lot of stuff stood out, it wasn't bad books. Uh, you know, I was like, well, what do you really enjoy? And I, oh, well, it's, you know, this, this one kept me in the whole time and it, and it went by really fast and it's done with a, a great deal of craft, very sort of <laughs> workmanlike craft, but you know, really just strong comic book. I think P. Craig Russell uh, did the cover. Yeah, he also did the layouts and he scripted yeah. it, I yeah. guess. Yes. So he's he's getting his work on. Great color, the whole thing. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's a good book. I had a good time reading comics this week. I really enjoyed most everything I read. So I don't know what your problem is. I mean, I'm I'm an asshole. <laughs> but I had a couple of books that could have been the pick that I thought about. Luckily I didn't have to worry about it, but I would have had a hard time not picking Batman Black and White number one, the new black and white miniseries which opens up giving a shout-out to Mark Chiarello, who started this and was recently fired, Ugh. which I thought was funny. Not funny he was fired, but funny that they gave, funny. Him, a sh- no, gave him a sh- funny they gave him a shout-out in the book. Right. It's, it's kind of, it was almost, I thought it was kind of like, like an up yours, sort of. Yeah, and that's what I mean, funny that way. Yeah. And Andy Corey's one of the editors in this. He was also fired. Anyway, they, they would do this miniseries off and on for years. It's basically, you get really high-end creators, and they tell short Batman stories in black and white art. And it's usually an art showcase. But in this issue, I thought most of the stories that I read were as good as the art would showcase them. And this issue also featured what I think is probably my favorite James Tinian fourth story, which kicks off the book called The Demon's Fist, in which we follow one of Ra's al Ghul's minions who just wants to get one punch in on Batman. And when he does, there's like this ecstasy panel that he feels... It's like it's, it's almost like he's tripping, and then Batman beats the crap out of him. I just thought this was a terrific little, no, five pages, whatever it was. I, I agree with you that that I think was probably it's a really, really strong James Tinian story. I was like, yeah. oh, he's getting better. I didn't here. You go on. You and keep Tradmore was it Tradmore? I think it was Tradmore yeah. on the art. Yeah. Yes. I love Tradmore. Very exaggerated, but stylistic and beautiful pages. I thought this was a delightful story. Next up, we had J.H. Williams III, which was more about the showcase of his art talents, which it usually is. Mm-hmm. This one was not great story-wise. It was basically starting off with his mother's pearls, which slowly over the course of the story become the coronavirus, a villain that Batman can't fight. However, he does all the styles here. He does Bob Kane. He does Dick Sprang. He does Norm Brayfogle. He does Jim Aparo, he does Bruce Tim. he does Brian Bolland, he does Capullo, Marshall Rogers, he does a bunch of people here through the course of sort of this Batman history montage. And at the end, Batman puts on his mask and goes to fight crime because Batman knows what's up. He understands infectious diseases. He has top-end respiratory protection stuff. He's got great masks. I don't necessarily need the coronavirus in my comics, but I thought it was a nice touch at the end. Paul Dini and Andy Kubert did a story about bat ninjas attacking the Batcave, which was fine. It was fine. And then Emma Rios did... I didn't really love the Emma Rios story, to be honest with you. That one I didn't like at all. Looked good, but I didn't like it. And then, to me, the showcase was the uh, Greg Smallwood story. Mm. G. Willow Wilson, Greg Smallwood story, which was just gorgeous. Gorgeous. That was the best one of the bunch, I think. 
both visually and sort of as a story. I think yeah. part of my but look at that look at that Smallwood stuff. Look, look oh, at I know. I mean, look that's, at that's, page that's... thirty-eight with Batman standing in the shadows while Killer Croc is cooking. I mean, that's why I came God to the game. Damn it! You know, like that was so. Good. I saw that and I was like, oh, we need that. <laughs> to me, yeah, no, I, before you get into it, just to me, when these things work, it's when they tell a timeless story with some kind of great characterization and a great version of Batman. And most of these to me had those first flight was okay, but metamorphosis and the demon fist, I thought were terrific and weight had to great art. So on the whole, I really enjoyed this. And I think the Smallwood one being at the end really helped. I mean, I guess the thing that I I hate Batman poetry Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of people end up doing here instead of a story. Mm -hmm. It's Batman poetry, you know, alone in the dark. You know, and I want to read little short stories. That's what I want. Like the art is impressive on all of these, but it's not necessarily like I had a really hard time following the the Tradmore art. I just kind of lost track of it. It's not the style of it. I just I don't know. It, it, it that kind of didn't jibe with me. I look forward to seeing J. H. Williams, and I was like, okay, this is Batman poetry. It's not really a story. You know, I want a story. And when I don't get one, I find the, the Emmerios thing was sort of the same deal. The Paul Dini one. Great Kubert art, by the way. Yeah, it was an okay story, but at least like yeah, I was like, all right, well, that was a, a story that had a sort of beginning, middle, and it was kind of silly, but you know, it, it was fine. I don't know. I kind of just wanted. I think I just wanted more short stories instead. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Emmerios thing, I, I don't even think I finished it. Yeah, I, like, I, okay, I started yeah, I skimming it. it. It was yeah. You know, and and I think it closed really strong, obviously. But I would have read every panel that did Smallwood did anyway. But at least this one, that was the one like. That's what you, what you described, a short story that has a characterization. It's got like a little sort of noir twist. It had a nice a, twist a to it, yeah. Yeah. I wish a majority of them were like that. This one was a perfect short story. Yes. This G. Willow Wilson, Smallwood, Clem Robbins was perfect. Mm-hmm. It told a full story. It had an arc. It, it ended on a nice note about Batman and looked beautiful. Yep. Yeah, I noticed that there was an all-star lettering compliment to this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Todd Klein, Clem Robbins, yeah. I wonder about Todd Klein, like, is he like, you know, I can do stuff besides just prestige. <laughs> like, does, does he, Clem Robbins, haven't seen him in a while. He did all the preacher, you know, like, like the, the Vertigo guys. Next month, we got Tom King, Mitch Gerrits, David Aja, Gabriel Hardman. Looking That's not to nothing. It. I'm looking forward to it. Next, yeah, the next one looked, looked pretty impressive, so. How are you feeling about getting it together? This is number three. This is the Cena Grace, a story about young people doing young people things. Similarly to how I previously felt about it. it, it's interesting, sort of almost from an anthropological standpoint, <laughs> or or even maybe even a voyeuristic one. Mm-hmm. Is the, oh, this is what young people are like with their music and sex and drugs. Oh, and be sextress. Yeah, there was a great bit in here. So I don't, it's it's, a, it's really hard to sum up. There's a band at the center of this story, a rock band in San Francisco. Oh, I don't even know if they're rock. They're they're music band. There's all kinds of sexual shenanigans going on. The lead singer sleep, slept with the guitarist. The, the, the bass player got jealous. And then the bass player slept with the lead singer's ex. So they're all angry at each other. And they, the band might be breaking up because the, maybe the lead singer wants to go solo. And they're at this gig. Meanwhile, the lead singer's brother is sort of spiraling. And, and, and he's uh, sleeping around too much. And his best friend is worried. So he brings his gay friend to check out his best friend's behavior to see if it's normal for gay men or if it's out of control. And there's a really great panel where they're all looking at each other while the band's playing. There's just all great storytelling happening and expressions, you know, and I thought that was a terrific panel. I think a lot of it is that I really like this type of book, and I think this is fairly well told, and I think the art uh, really works for what it is. And again, like I love this type of book, and we don't get a lot of them. So even though... Jenny Fine is on art. I understand why people my age don't do books like this because it would be super boring. <laughs> so I, I'm willing to make those allowances for some of the stuff. You know, it's interesting yep. to see how people, I was going to say how they live now, but I assume this is somewhat exaggerated yeah. to a certain extent, dramatized, I guess. It's dramatized. You know, it's also like the subculture of you know, yes. rock yeah. you know, singer, musicians in San Francisco. As we ended up, sort of for, you know and, and band culture is is band culture you know like that's not, those are those are stories that tend to repeat themselves i lost track a little bit as we sort of got further into the night and also they were all tripping on molly ecstasy yeah which is the same. i use the old name 
But I think there are a couple of universal fundamental sort of issues that some of the people are having that that are interesting. And, and they, like they care about each other, even though they're fighting. You know, mm-hmm. like I really like the bit where, you know, all right, let's let's go inside and hash this out before we start. You know, and they all had the conversation. They got to do well at the show and blah, blah, blah. And right. it wasn't just like a big fight. It was, you know, problem solving. I don't quite know what's happening by the end of it. But either way. I've enjoyed this, and I would still like to see – like it would be great to see more of these in issue form because I think that maybe these stories exist, but they're only sort of you know graphic novel sort of type things, and I, I, don't, I don't get to those. Maybe. I guess. I, I just like remember, – remember Image used to do this kind of thing sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. But, but something. Now they just do sci-fi mashups. Yeah, you've got to be a long-time person like Cena Grace to get this kind right. of book done now. Yeah. You have to have worked directly for Robert Kirkman for a while. Or if Kieran or Jamie want to do it, but then it usually has magic in it. Yeah, always. And it's a, and it's a bunch of music I don't know as well. <laughs> Superman Endless Winter, number one. This was the Endless Winter special. We had two inter- Endless Winter chapters this week, two and three. This one is chapter three. Oh, okay. It's the second one I read. Two was in Flash. Mm-hmm. This was written by Ron Mars and Andy Lanning, who also wrote the Flash one. I guess they're doing that. That was my question. So, yeah. they're, so they're sort of writing all of them. Marco Santucci's doing the flashback art, but this featured main art by Phil Hester. So again... Oh, Phil Hester and Andy Parks. We're living in that early 2000s world of this series, and it's great. I was so excited to see Phil Hester and Andy Parks on there. I, I want to say I first came across them, Kevin Smith's Green Arrow run a long time ago, and then like I will seek that out. And, and you know, Phil, I don't know the Phil is known so much for his art anymore. You know, he'll do art here and there, but he'll write stories. But it's just such a great style from that time period. Mm-hmm. And anyway, like I, that was a thing I was I was super excited about. And you know, this is what we talked about before with the last pick of the week was that oh, this is this is this kind of comic. You know, it's a little overwrought. It's a little fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it feels very classic. You know, there's a endless winter happening over Earth, and there's frost giants everywhere. And Thor is nowhere to be found, so Superman must save the day. And it includes a little trip back home to Smallville to check on his well, parents, which is always I nice. I think that was the strength of it for me. It was like in the middle of all this stuff, his parents, you know, <laughs> they're kind of COVID deniers. You know, <laughs> like, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. They're outside. Well, to be fair, they have crypto outside killing all the giants. So It's a good point. It's a good point. But they you want know, to crypt- stop and have a cocoa with Clark before he goes back out again, which is nice. At some point, though, and I need to bring this up, if you're looking at page 19 on your digital reader, yeah. Pa Kent appears to be squirreling away cookies. <laughs> he totally is, because you know Ma's got him on a diet. And you can see it in the fourth panel, it's sticking out. You just <laughs> well, Now it looks like, like a pocket square. You know Ma's got him on like a three-cookie limit, and he's squirreling mm-hmm. away cookies in every pocket he can find, because A, you know Ma's cookies are delicious, and B, oh, you, sure. know, you know her cocoa is delicious, too. So, of course, he's hiding them wherever he can. Yep. Yeah, so it was delightful. And then Clark leaves with a thermos of, of cocoa, which everything about this is great. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> the thing is, Phil Hester's a guy who likes food, and he understands the specifics of it. <laughs> and uh, due to various reasons, he can't eat as much as he wants to, so he's using this to fulfill his fantasies sure. about squirreling away cookies and traveling away with thermoses of uh, cocoa. It's just so delightful. I'm really enjoying the heck out of this little mini story. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a good time. I just, I really like the color palette too, you know, hi-fi color, you know, but it just looks like, it it just looks like comics from, it looks like how I want comics to look, especially Superman comics. Yeah. So now, preface this by saying, I don't understand Dark Knight's death metal. I get what it is conceptually, but I'm dismayed that DC seems to be going with this as their main driver as opposed to when Doomsday Clock was coming out, whatever. I don't really follow or enjoy what's been happening with Dark Knight's death metal and then leading into that whole Justice League run and then leading into Dark Knight's death metal, whatever the heck the subtitle is this time. So this book, whatever it is, seems to be leading into the next iteration of DC. I don't know. That seems to be what it is. However, I don't care. So I took this issue to be like an Elseworlds book. Like what would happen on the last night of the DC universe? Because... The story of the Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe, is the last night before the big battle where they think they're all going to die against whatever the fuck. Batman who laughs or his people or whoever, I don't really care. So I just took it as, okay, well, let's just read it as 
in my continuity, it's just what would happen if this was the, really the last night and what were they doing? And so that, in that sense, I really, really enjoyed this. This, this features some terrific creators. This was all about great character moments. Really? Oh, yeah, this was terrific. It's all character moments. And I'm going to not talk about all of it because there's a lot of it. It's, 90, it's almost a 90-page book. It's 82 pages. I guess it's almost 80 pages. The framing device is, is the Titans. So you've like all the Titans from all the iterations together because this is a sort of multiverse event. All the Titans from all the iterations are together. Everyone is decamped on Themyscira. I guess that's where they're making their last stand. So they're all hanging out there. And it's drawn by Travis Moore, who's great. He's been doing the Nightwing art. I get Travis Moore and Trad Moore mixed up in my yeah. head. Totally it's different styles. Josh Williams, James Tinney, and Scott Snyder wrote the Titans part, which opens and closes the book. And so you have a lot of Titans sorting out their feelings and the, and the cliffhanger. And that part is Wally West shows up. And of course, you know, Wally West is turned into a murderer by Tom King. <laughs> and so there's a lot of tension there. But there's a great Green Lantern story with Jeff Lemire and Raphael Albuquerque, in which Hal Jordan just wants to fly for his last day. Guy's having a beer and John's planning, but Hal just wants to fly. And then at the end, he runs into Sinestro, who wants to be a Green Lantern one more time in the final battle. So he takes off his yellow ring and puts back on his Green Lantern ring and becomes a Green Lantern again. And that was really nice. The one woman story I didn't really like so much. Green Arrow, Black Canary was written by Gail Simone. And there's a nice little nod to her time as Black Canary and the Birds of Prey in this. This story is Ollie struggling to propose to Dinah, and they run into their, their daughter from a multiverse. Like, they don't know her, but in the, her world, she's their daughter. So they, they have a nice moment there and, you know, talking about what could have been in their lives. It was, it was all really great. Aquaman had Chris Mooneyham art and it looked terrific. I was just kind of bored by it, so I didn't really like that one too much. The Bat Family one was terrific, written by Cecil Castellucci with art by Mirka and Dolfo, and Bruce is going through checking in all, all of his kids. The one thing that didn't ring true, and I think Cecil Kazalucci keeps having these moments that don't ring true, but Tim's playing poker and he's cheating, and I thought, Tim would never cheat at poker. <laughs> but then uh, it's all about Dick and Barbara reconnecting. Barbara's really mad at Dick for some reason, I don't understand, and, but they reconnect, and then Batman marries them. Uh, so they, they get married right before they, they all go off to the final battle. And then uh, the most surprising bit before the close of the Titan story was... Superman story by Mark Wade and Francis Manipal. Mark Wade returns Hello. to DC after saying he would never come back while Dan DiDio was still in charge. And this was a fucking delightful Superman story. It was much in the same vein as Endless Winter. It looked great. It just features Superman going around trying to save as many people as he can before the final battle. It's very superhero -y. He gets some old spare parts and he develops this little mini time machine like a watch, and while it still has coronal energy, he can keep going back an hour, so he can keep going back and saving more people, more people, more people. And so eventually there's multiple Supermans flying around saving everybody until the energy runs out in the, in the watch, and then he has to stop. But it was a terrific mini-story. This was a really great issue. I take away all the nonsense of whatever's happening around it, but all the character stuff, which is all this is about, was great. I really was surprised. I kind of read it on a lark and was really impressed. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm going to read any more of it, but this featured great artists, great writers, and terrific character stuff. Well, at the end of it, the story's over, so at least you know. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's coming, what happens after Future State, what's going on with the future of the DC Universe, who knows what Warner Media via AT&T is making them do, who knows? I don't know. We'll deal with that as it comes, but for the moment, I thought this was a really great, what would happen on their final night kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Well, very nice. Yeah, I thought it was really good. So, what would happen if you said, hey... I like this show. How how can I help make it a thing? Well, you would go to patreon.com slash fanboy. You probably know about that. I'm going to keep this short. That's going to be my Christmas gift to you or Hanukkah <laughs> gift uh, as we're, we're recording this. Whatever holiday you prefer. We have goals. We have hit many of them thanks to the patrons. Let's see. The next one uh, would be the G.I. Joe corner if we hit that. After that, uh, maybe we even get back to the quarterly barbecue show. It could be crazy. But so far, what's already happened is there are talks explodes and there are books explodes and video shows are being uploaded. Media explodes. Yeah, that too. Media explodes. All those. I've, I've lost. Sometimes I lose track myself. Yep. So that's patreon.com slash ifanboy. And I say this a lot because I actually, I very much mean it. And I know that Connor does as well. We appreciate that support that goes into there so yes. much. I mean, you measurably make our lives better and easier and allow us to keep doing this show. That is, that is an actual thing that happens. And uh, sometimes you buy my kids Christmas gifts. So that's also really helpful. You can go to our Threadless page, which is ifanboy.threadless.com. There are eight designs. Uh, you can put them on shirts, sweatshirts, I believe three-quarter length baseball shirts, which I'm a big fan yep. of. Yep, for sure. And and many other things. The shower curtain. I still have I have so many three-quarter length baseball shirts. That is your move. I don't think I realized it until I was, 
you know, see myself in all these fucking Zoom meetings. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I wear a lot of baseball shirts. I feel like you want to be like at practice in a s- baseball team in the 70s. I'd rather be, yeah. I mean, all things considered. That's very much in your aesthetic. I can see that. Like, you don't want to chew tobacco, but you don't mind the image of it. No, and I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll take greenies if that's what it takes. I don't know what that means. But... It's amphetamines. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they used to have them in bowls in the locker rooms. I'm so lame. Yeah. Privetin. <laughs> uh, you can go to com slash support. You'll have to listen to the All Media Show to understand that one. Mm-hmm. Even then, it's passing. If you don't want to deal with any of that and you would like to, say, find the PayPal link if you want to send something that way. And then one of the easiest ways that you could help contribute is to go to ifanboy.com slash Amazon. Uh, you will find a general link to Amazon.com, say, for your holiday shopping or something like that. If you just go through there, it doesn't affect you in the least, but gives us a, a little bit of extra. And there's also links always to buy all the Booksplode books. And every week on the show, you can link to the music that we would do to buy and the and the Pick of the Week comic is in there. So thank you so much to all of you who contribute in any, any way. It, it really does mean the world. And uh, we will keep doing this for you as often and as well as we can. As long as we're having fun, which we are, despite Josh's angriness this week. It's, I don't. I. I really think you're overclassifying. Well, yeah, that's what we do. Marauder sixteen <laughs> was also terrific. I think you're just reading the wrong books, Josh. Marauder sixteen, Jerry Duggan, Stefano Caselli, Edgar Delgado, Corey Pettit. If you recall, which you may not recall because it happened before, way back in early pandemic days, uh, or maybe even before that, the Black King killed Kitty Pride. If you remember, mm-hmm. you know it's the X Men now, so she was resurrected. And now this is Kitty and Emma's revenge on the Black King. They go to his house. They fuck up his priceless whiskey collection. They basically beat the crap out of him. And then Lockheed comes in and eats one of his eyeballs. And then they poison him <laughs> with a poison that's either going to kill him or make him like an uh, invalid in a wheelchair. And they said, if you, if you die, we're not going to resurrect you for a while. We're going to make you stew in death. But if you're an invalid in the wheelchair, you're, you're still going to be with us with an eye patch. And so he, that's what happened to him. He's in that wheelchair with his eye patch. It was just this great sort of revenge story where they basically lay down the law with the Black King and tell him he's not as quite as smart and as good as he thinks he is. And they and Kitty uh, gets her revenge for being drowned. It was yeah. really good. It was well, pretty, I mean, if he's brutal. still breathing, then he got off okay. Yeah, but he lost a lot of good whiskey, which honestly... There's a really funny bit where he thinks he can get away and he runs from them. He jumps out a window. It's a very Jared Duncan, but he crashes through the window. The second story lands with a womp and he can't get up and escape. So Kitty comes out and slowly drags him back in by one leg. <laughs> it was just very funny. Sounds Tarantino-esque. Yeah, it was very funny. It was good. So uh, the patron pick way back when was Bill and Ted are doomed number one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fine. It was good. But I stuck with it. And uh, issue number four just came out. A story by Evan Dorkin with a uh, consultation with Ed Solomon, who's the co-creator of Bill and Ted's in general, with art and letters by uh, Roger Langridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, as this went on, it became, uh, I don't know if it was more delightful, but I found more delight in it. Is it? This is it. This is over. Okay. Yep. This was the miniseries. They found their way to a music festival in Norway. Last mm-hmm. issue, as I told you, uh, black metal festival. And, and everybody said death to false metal, which was them. And they tried to kill them. And then they found a town, mm-hmm. a fully black metal town, sure. who worshiped evil and the devil. And that it, they were captured or no, they were incognito. Actually, they, they disguised themselves. And that's where this issue begins. In this one, there are frost giants released. Things go wow, crazy. That's all over all these books, right? Station helps the robot Bill and Ted's build families and houses that are also rockets, and they stop there real quick to save Bill and Ted, and everything's well. And Bill and Ted keep their attitude. They keep their their chipper, sunny attitude the whole time. Anything else would be wrong. It was very silly, and, you know, I think at the beginning, I read that first one either the day, I think like the day after I'd watched the movies, and it was too close. But as I got away from it, I was able to sort of enjoy it on its own as a thing. And it set up the fact why there was no station or robot Bill and Ted's in the movie because then it started after that. But it was fun. It was really it was it was it was a good time. I'm glad I read them. I I think those kind of things don't work so often that it should be noted when they do. I'm very very curious what you thought of crossover number two from Image Comics. Donnie Cates, Jeff Shaw, D. Conf, John J. Hill. So I'll give you my review right now. Yep. I made it to page three. Wow, interesting. 
really I got to the beginning and they were like naming off all the comic creators and I was like I don't care, I don't care. like right away and I remember that I had barely held on to what was happening last time mm. and I started reading the first couple pages and I just said I, I'm not interested in this. <laughs> Why? I don't know. First of all, Brian K. Vaughn's name is spelled wrong on the first page. Oh no, I didn't even see that. Yeah. I, I I just. I don't know. It, like after it was late, it was like after I'd read a bunch of the comics and I started going and I, I was, I was only reading it because I thought, cause I, I wanted to like it, not cause I was interested in it because I like the creators and I like, but I, but also, you know, Donnie Cates has done things I don't really like because it's not my thing. And I, I thought this probably isn't my thing, but I'm willing to let you tell me if it should be otherwise. I don't, I, I, I feel like you should at least finish the issue and see what you think. I'm not going to tell you this is great. I don't know that this is anything more than a novelty series at the moment. We've talked about this before. In the real world, quote unquote, the real world, Marvel and DC superheroes and all those kind of characters show up. Oh, this Brian K. Vaughn's name is spelled wrong through the entire thing. Show up in the real world in Denver, cause mass casualties and death, and a dome appears above it and traps them all in there. And so now you're dealing with the real world in which Batman and Superman and the Thing and all these characters are real in the world, even though if we can't see them or really name drop them. Uh, there is one scene in which we see a bunch of them in prison. We can see Batman and Wonder Woman and Flash and and the thing. So we're dealing with the fallout of that. And in the last issue, a comic store was burned down because comics are now looked as you know evil because they cause all this death. And in the beginning of this comic, what Josh is talking about is that there's a news report that Brian K. Vaughn, acclaimed Marvel Comics writer, has been found brutally murdered and says and that Chiron, 14th comic writer, found dead in three weeks. Ship Zdarsky, Scott Snyder, Robert Kirkman still missing. So it's a little bit of a wink and a nod novelty thing it's not a little bit i have to have faith that there's a bigger story being told here the kid that burned the comics down gets taken to shadowy government organization who give him a weapon that can shut down powers and he's got a mission to go into the dome and do stuff and meanwhile the girl he's destined to fall in love with who worked at the store that he burned down is also going to the dome to find her parents because the parents are trapped inside and the little girl from the dome reveals herself to be quite more dangerous than we thought she was interesting things happened i'm enjoying it I still want to know what's the bigger story here other than like a lot of winking and nothing you said made me want to pick it up. That's fine. I just like as a concept, I just, I don't, it's not a thing I care about. The comic book history of animation. Did you read this? Nope. Interesting. I really like the comic book history of comics, but I just wasn't super interested in the animation thing. And with all the books, I decided to give it a pass, but let me, you know, I can read it. It was good. The comic book history of animation. Number one, Fred Van Lente, Ryan Dunlevy, they did Comic Book History of Comics, which was one of the issues was Pick of the Week, and then it was a Book of the Month way back when we did that kind of thing. It's great. It was really great. And this is the same format, same kind of thing, going through animation. The only choice that they made that I did not like, and it, and it really bugged me the whole way through, was that for whatever reason, they decided that all of the people here would be anthropomorphized animals. There's no real people. They all are dogs, or they're mm. cats, or they're mice. I mean, it makes sense logically. Or they appear as their, you know, creations like Walt Disney right. looks kind of like a, Mickey Mouse. Right. There's some real people, like there's a part where they talk about Teddy Roosevelt and he's drawn as a real person. But for the most part, like one of these guys is he's like a, he's like a snake. He's not like, I don't know. I don't even know what this is. It's like a dinosaur. I'd rather see them as real people. Because mm-hmm. also, I don't know most of these people. So I'd like to know, you know. Yeah. That is always fun, that characterization of folks in history that, that happens in those kind of comic book history things. But it's a really interesting story, you know. The early days of animation is is, is, is it's interesting. It's just chronological. They sort of go through it. Started nineteen. Yeah, this is just this starts with Edison and how they used to record these live art shows, like these vaudeville live art shows, where guys would start with one drawing and it would become a different drawing by the end, and mm-hmm. and they would record that. That was sort of early animation, and then how that progressed. And it ends with Walt Disney on a train back from New York to go back to L.A. The coming of Mickey. It's a great story, and I think... That was also a movie that you could watch in Times Square in the 70s. <laughs> well, there is a porn in here, too. <laughs> Shocking. Apparently, they made the first animated porn that they showed at the gathering of a great men of animation meeting. A lot of cigar smoke in that area. Yeah, so I think you'd enjoy it on a time when you have some time to sit down and, and read it. Yeah. You know, it's full of people screwing each other and stabbing each other in the back and stealing ideas. Man, that, stealing. that first half of the 20th century was... It's a rough time for business, from what I understand, especially in the creative arts. I don't think it's any different now. Probably not. I enjoyed it. I just wish they had been drawn as real people, that's all. Let's take a brief journey over to Star Wars Corner. Okay. 
Star Wars number nine. I think this is the second or third reboot of this from when it started. I think it'd be really cool if we were in the 60s or 70s now since Jason Aaron started that one series. But such is never to be. Those days are over, my friend. After that last story, Greg Pak had done it. And this brings Charles Soule back on. I don't know if he's actually written this series or just Darth Vader because it all kind of runs together with Jan, I'm guessing, Bazaldua. Have you been reading all these? Yeah, I've read every main Star Wars series book. Since it came out with Jason Aaron. Yeah. I think the art is perfect. Jan Bazudula. Yeah, there are many left-hand panel stacking problems in here. I just re- I just rearranged all the letters in his name. Yeah. And the letter was only able, partially able to save them. But besides that, it is that perfect sort of combination of I recognize them, but it's not photorealistic. Right. Um, and I think that is the key for these books to work. That's like when Eminem was drawing it, right? Yes, uh, and and several of the other people besides that have done pretty well with it. LaRocca actually does really well on Darth Vader because there's no faces. But anyway, this is a very silly story where it's not played silly, but I, I think as a concept is pretty good. The uh, Empire has broken all of the codes that the Rebels have, and they can't figure out a way to come up with a new code without giving everything away and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so C-3PO is like, I have an idea. And it turns out that there's this ancient language that mm-hmm. uh, nobody knows. Navajo? It's not. You but sure? It's basically the same thing as that, okay. now that you've said it. It's <laughs> that story. But there is a, a museum on Coruscant with an ancient first sort of generation protocol droid who has this one language on it. It's the only place it exists. So they have to go down and steal it. And they force Lando and Lobot to go with them. It's a heist. And it doesn't go terribly well because these are not skilled heisters. It was fun. It was, uh, you know, it's just a Star Wars story that happens in between the, the panels and doesn't really change anything. Like that, and I think those are the keys. I feel like Lando could pull the high stuff. He was very confident about his ability to do it. He just didn't want to. Sure. But he didn't want to have to ring Lobot or Low as uh, Charles Soule. No! Ugh. I hate it so much. They didn't repeat that mistake in here, I so hate maybe... It so much. No, it was it was fun. It was it was just, you know, it was the, the main characters but on adventures, the kind of way that they would never get to do any other way. So I there's something about it being in comic book form that makes it feel, you know, less like canon and more like well done fan fiction. Sure. I think for me. So it lets me get then I don't have to hear like an actor doing it Did or you read God that, forbid that novel, the heist one that came out a few years ago. No, I haven't read a Star Wars novel in forever. I don't want to get into it too deeply, but I had stopped reading the novels in college when the, the Chewie yes. situation. But then I came back a few years ago. I think it was Timothy Zahn came back and did like a heist book with like young Han, kind of young Lando, and Chewie and a bunch of people. It was fun. I think that's sort of in the same vein. It's called Scoundrels, comics. I think. I think that's, I remember, I think you talked about it yeah. at some point on the all media show or it's, something It like was that. fun. It didn't make me yeah. feel icky, which was good. Yeah. So that's the books we want to talk about. There's a lot of books. I had, I had well over 20 books and I kept adding them as the week went on. But we only can talk about so many, but we have to talk about the patron pick, patreon.com slash ifanboy, as Josh mentioned earlier. Every patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week was a crazy week in which five different books held the lead at one point. But at the end, it came down to Lock and Key, The Sandman, Helen Gone, number zero. This is the prelude issue to the upcoming Lock and Key, Sandman crossover that's happening later at some point. I was going to say later in the year, but that can't be accurate. It's got to be next year. I'm very curious because this is Josh's first foray into Lock and Key, correct? No, no. I read the first volume of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I read it a long time ago. It seems like it's expanded somewhat since then. We had that viewer choice episode of the video Mm -hmm. show. uh, Anyway, this is a little primer issue, so it's not really a full-on thing. Half of it is a reprint of Sandman number one by Neil Gaiman and Sam Keith. But I loved the little Lock and Key story. It was really sad and sweet, and I liked it a lot. I don't know if it's new or not, but I, I loved it. Well, yeah, so I thought that story was really good, you know, and very sweet, and the sort of father and the infirm child mm-hmm. and what they want to do for him, they brought him. It was really sweet, and it had sort of a, like a, I'll get filmic on you, it had a little Lumiere vibe yep, uh, sure. near the end, uh, I think. And, you know, they they brought him to this sort of, what are they called? What's the family? The Locke family. It's the Locke family, Okay. In the main book, the first book, it was like a modern day, you know, the modern day locks. They lived in Maine and all that stuff. But since then, it's, it's expanded out. Was it Massachusetts? I think it was Mass. It's Massachusetts. Because can't put it in Maine. That's yeah. his dad's thing. So, sorry, I just assume Maine. Yeah, sure. So since then, it's, we've started seeing the locks throughout the years. In fact, the most recent Lock and Key miniseries in Pale Battalions Go has been during World War One, and 
This one is 1912, so it's right before that, and um, <laughs> I don't know why I want to say Jebediah Locke, but that's not his name. Uh, the <laughs> Whatever the dad's name, his son is sick. His son's really sick. Epilepsy he, or something like that is what it seems like. They mentioned like, at or? one point tumors. He's, yeah, he's, he's not he, well. He's having seizures. He has seizures, and his son wants to go on adventures but he can't leave the house and they, so they constantly look at the moon and talk about the moon and the, the dad makes these fantastical stories about how the moon is just a flat surface and behind the moon is a it's like a stage door and there's all the actors are behind the moon and, and so you know his son f- finds those stories funny so then they get a, a balloon an air balloon and the dad's friend who works on things and builds things is their tinkering friend the three of them go up to the moon in the balloon and they use the key to open the moon it becomes a door and it's exactly like the dad has described. It looks like the back of a stage. And then all their dead ancestors are there. You know, he gets to see his dad, and the grandfather gets to meet the grandson, and there's all these old people, including the friend's wife. So this is clearly in some sort of heaven situation. The friend decides to stay. And you can see, I like how over the course of them being in that little space, the friend's hair goes from gray to black very slowly. Hmm. So he's clearly... Oh, I, he, I was like, wait, is that the same guy? And I went back, and I looked, and I didn't... He's clearly de-aging to get back to, you know, the age of his wife. So he's, he's clearly dead. And his son has a choice to basically stay and watch the world from his perch or go with them into basically heaven. And he chooses to go with the family. And then the father goes back alone in the balloon crying. I mean, it's sad, but sweet. I thought it was, yeah. I really liked it. I thought it's a, it's a little one shot. Joe Hill's an incredibly good writer. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. Apparently it's genetic. I guess we've it's, solved well, that it's question. It's genetic plus, plus it's nature. work. Well, yeah, and you, but you got to nurture it. Anyway. Gabriel Rodriguez is also an incredibly good artist. Yes. So I think the thing that got me here is that I thought that short story was fine and good and, 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 and whichever, but I was expecting this kind of crossover happening. Yeah. And and the, so the whole time I'm like, so is Dream show up in this or something? And, I thought and, that too, but yeah. And I got to the end of that story and I was like, well, what the hell does this have to do with the Sandman? And then I flip through and and I get and I get I was like oh yeah well this looks just like the first issue of Sand oh this is the first issue of Sandman so it's a reprint which is weird you didn't read the opening essay then because that explained what you were about to you're get. gonna keep asking I did I, I read like half of it and I went okay just tell me that I want to read the comic book now it, this is a basically it's a primer to the eighty page crossover that's to come mm-hmm. this is a primer to introduce you to the world of Lock and Key if you're a Sandman fan who doesn't know about it and then also to sort of prime you back up with the Sandman stuff by giving you the first issue again before the action. I'd rather they just made the patron pick that one then. <laughs> Listen, this is issue zero. What are you going to do? It's not out. They didn't get the vote. I, I don't think I realized it was a zero, but it's fine. It was good. It just kind of wasn't what I was expecting when I sort of started it. Oh, I, when I saw it come out, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And then it was, but it, I liked it. I didn't, re- honestly didn't read the Sandman part because I've read it before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of flipped. I was like, all right, yeah, there's the helm. Cool. <laughs> I liked the opening a lot. So, it's going to be hard to rate this. Oh, February. Okay, February is when the crossover actually happens. February. Two issues. Two four. That'll be good because there's nothing good in the theater then. Oh, actually. So Lock and Key, The Sandman, Helen Gone, number zero, ratings out of five. Ah. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Three. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with four because, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I love the first story. The second half's a reprint of a comic I've read. Fine. It does its job. If I had gone into a comic shop and I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I like Locking, oh, I like Sandman, and I picked this up, I would be expecting it to be something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, as an object, if I was interested in those two things, I would have been let down by this in the way that I was. Is Lock and Key on Netflix right now? I don't know. It says Lock and Key now streaming on Netflix. And one of the so. many ads in the back. That's how many You know what else on is on Netflix? Netflix? Fucking everything. Are you sticking with it? Are you going to read the crossover when it happens in February? I might. I'm guessing I would be shocked if that doesn't end up being the patron pick at that time. I mean, this was only one of five books and also only one by single vote, so... Yes, but now we've talked about it. The, the patrons are capricious and unpredictable. Can I use this moment, by the way, to Uh-oh. just say, you know how in uh, America... Josh is going to burn it all down in the final episode of the year. The, one of our big problems is that everybody is in franchise and, and yep. nobody votes. Yep. Like the, like the turnout this year was the highest ever. It was, but it was still you know nearish fifty percent. So half the people went eh. 
And I'm saying you become a patron, you come to this thing, you're looking, you, you know, you're listening to the show. More of you need to vote. Yeah, I think about 10% of the patrons vote. The super users. Not a hard thing. I think it's a fun thing. I think it would add more to the show to have more participation and voice in that. I, re- I really do. I think this was actually a good patron pick, to be fair, because it's a thing that I might not have read, but it's a thing that we could have a discussion about. Mm-hmm. And I know that if you're like if you're a fringe voter, you're going third party or green, you might not get your books in there a lot. But you never know because you don't know what other people are doing in comics are weird. It's blind voting, so you can't tell what other votes are. Yeah. More people need to vote. I really wish that, you know, the ninety percent of you would avail yourselves of that. Not for any other reason. I just think it would be interesting. I think it would be more interesting. Yeah. I hope more people vote next year. It's fine. I'm not I'm not denigrating those who do vote. I think it's great. And I appreciate it's it's almost the same people every every week, but mm-hmm. Like I said, only about 10% of you vote, which in terms of internet engagement is actually really high. So I'm not really... Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. But if you're, like, you're listening to this and you're like, I don't need to get to it, just get yourself in the habit. I think that, I think that that'll be fun. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you want to become a patron, help the show out. Also, if you want to vote, add a book to the rundown or avail yourself of the many other perks that comes with being a patron. Let's thank those who give the $5 or higher level. Those patrons who do get their own superpower live on the show. So for the last time this year, Josh, kick it off. Now, I like this... There's a chance I may have used it at some time in the That's past, fine. but I don't, I don't think. Alex Howard uh-huh. can, can walk up to anybody and run his hand down their face and say, sleep, <laughs> and they'll sleep. <laughs> what was that from? I don't know. It's become one of those, I think for me, it's become one of those pop culture things that just shows up. And they, like it's, there's something. It was in something. Now. It was some movie. I'm sure it was, but I, I, I know that it's just a thing that I have done for years. Sometimes to my children, it's never worked. But sleep. And then you run your hand down the front of their face, palm open. Mm. <laughs> it's not creepy at all. It's not like, you know, it's not a permanent sleep. They don't put them in a coma. Right. You go to sleep for, if like, if you were to lay down and take a nap at that point, you'd sleep for that long, an hour or so. And have a great nap. Just yeah, a great, deep sleep. You'd wake up refreshed. Unless, unless, of course, you know, you were standing at the time and you've fallen, which happens sometimes. It's better if you're in a comfortable chair and Alex right. comes up to you. Use your power wisely, Alex. Well, that's anybody. Take into consideration where people are standing or, sli- or sitting or laying down. Unless it's a heist escape situation. Carmine Puma, which, God, I hope is a real name. That's a great name. <laughs> Carmine Puma. So you know how, like, Storm is the master of, you know, weather? weather? Yes, I and do. can create gale force winds. Carmine can create a light breeze. Oh, that's nice. If it's a little, feeling stuffy, or if it's a little, you know a little hot, you know inside anywhere, anywhere light breeze. Hmm. You know, if you're outside, you know, walking around, and it's a little hot. Here, here you go. Here's a light breeze for you. Just a comfortable light breeze. Could he like blow off a hat? You know, lift if, a if skirt. The hat, if the like, hat what's... wasn't like on super tight, it's a, it's not. It's not windy. It's not a gust. No, no, no. You don't feel like, oh, man, it's windy. It's like, oh, that's a nice breeze. Yeah. You know? Not a some like it hot situation. No, and he's never in a house or an apartment that feels like hot and stuffy. There's always a nice cross breeze going in his his house. Yeah. Alex and Carmine, they were patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Normally here's where we talk about our emails, but we have another segment to do. But I'll just say contact at ifanboy.com is how you can get your email on the show. We thank everyone who wrote in this year. What usually happens now is we take all the unread emails from this year and we put them in a folder and we move on. We start afresh with the new emails for next year. So if you emailed us, especially in the last couple of weeks, and didn't get on the show, you might want to try it again. Contact ifanboy.com. Nothing against you. We just take all those emails because there's hundreds of them from the year we didn't get to. We dump them in a folder. We, we start afresh. I started new. I remember we used to have a thing way back that we were like, we're going to answer every email that came in. And then at some point, we just threw our hands up. Like, this can't this can't be it. Well, that was when we were full-time, so we had a little bit right, more yeah. But also, there was just too many. There was just too many. But here's where we talk about the picks of the week by the numbers. This is our end-of-the-year segment, which we look at the picks of the week, do a little statistical analysis of them. Not too long. Uh, this year's a weird year, Josh, because we didn't have picks every week because of the pandemic when the comics didn't come out for a while. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So this year there was only 43 picks of the week as opposed to usually there's 50, 50, 51, 52. So there was, it was about six weeks there where we didn't have picks. Really? We did it that long? I, in my mind, it's like two or three weeks and then we no, started. No, no, no. It was like six or seven weeks. That makes sense. Josh, you had 22 picks. I had 21. 
And of those 43, there were seven different publishers who received the picks of the week. Would you like to guess who was the top publisher this year? Marvel. No, it was DC with 48.8% of the picks. Really? 21 out of 43 picks were DC. 14 were Marvel. Wow. I was 33% off. Three from IDW, two from Dark Horse, one from Abstract Studios, one from Image Comics. Wow. One from Vault. Josh? Huh. You had six publishers that you gave picks to. Would you like to guess your top publisher? I don't, I don't, uh, what did you just say? I, I don't know. I'm not good at this part. Marvel. So I guess for myself, mm-hmm. not us. But that makes sense. Out of your 22 picks, nine were Marvel. That's 40.9% of your picks. Okay. DC had seven, 31.8%. IDW two, Dark Horse two, Abstract one, Vault one. By the way, these numbers are all accurate too this week. I had to do this right. late last night because you didn't pick till late. Me, I had four publishers. Would you like to guess who I picked the most? DC. DC, 14 out of 21. That's 66.6% wow. of my picks. You really are in the tank for them. This year, especially. I don't, I don't think Marvel... You know, we, we've talked about this before. Marvel's... Yeah. Marvel, I had five. 23.8%. I'm guessing most of my Marvel ones, again, more fringy. We've talked about that. Yeah, I, was, I have that breakdown somewhere. Two things happened for me, I think. One, you know, Marvel's is what it is. But also, Image has just fallen out completely out of... Out of I don't think attention, but just out of relevance. I mean, we we check them. We read them. Sure, There's just not as many ongoing stuff that's, ha- that's going on. And yep. I always look, whenever there's an image number one, I always look at it and yep. I give it a shot. But I picked one image, one in IDW. And as terms of writers, we had uh, 39 writers involved in 43 picks. Now that includes a, a bunch of anthologies, sure. so, oh. and I, in which I listed all the writers because they're all involved in the anthologies. But we'll get to the total number series in a minute. 39 writers, eight of whom were picked more than once. Again, that includes work in anthologies, but most of these are double issues. Would you like to guess who the top writer was? My first instinct was Matt Fraction, but he was only on the one series. So I'm trying to think. This writer... Donnie Cakes? Donnie Cakes is not even on the list. I don't think we picked a single book with Donnie Cakes. Really? I'm, I told you I'm bad at this. Like, I have no No, I'm sorry. Donnie Cakes got picked once. Okay. The top writer was Tom Taylor. Oh, duh. He had eight picks, 18.6% of all the picks with Tom Taylor books. Then we had two writers picked three times, Christopher Cantwell and Joshua Williamson. Each three times, that's 6.9% of the picks. And then five writers were picked twice, Stephanie Phillips, Matthew Rosenberg, Mark Russell, Dan Slott, and Simon Spurrier. And those were all all the writers picked more than once. Then there was uh, like 31 other writers who got picked one time. In terms of artists, this is less exciting. Is that is that historically that's a pretty good spread, I think. Yeah. Like in terms of like like a, like the old days of Jeff Johns was dominating or, or something like Although that. Although eight's eight's pretty high. That's pretty high for one year. Yeah. Yes. In terms of artists, we had seven artists picked twice, and that's the most any artist got picked, including anthologies. So that's four point six five percent of all picks. Trevor Harrison, Salvador LaRocca, Paco Medina, Carl Moster, Howard Porter, Derek Robertson, Otto Schmidt. Those are all those guys are all picked twice this year. And then in terms of series, there were 36 series out of 43 books. So that's pretty good. That's a real good spread. Not a lot of double picks. Mm-hmm. And so Deceased was going to be at the top of that. Well, here's the deal. The fam. There was not a single book picked more than twice. So there were seven books who were picked twice this year. Mm-hmm. Deceased Dead Planet, Deceased Unkillables, Doctor Doom, Fantastic Four, Hawkeye Freefall, Hellblazer Rise and Fall, and then John Constantine Hellblazer. 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 Which are the best series of the year. So So what I decided was if you if you just chose the deceased family of books, those were five of the forty three. Eleven point six percent of the picks were deceased family books. So to me that means the deceased family was the series of the year. Yeah. Because that's, that's five out of forty three. That's the most. And there was at least one Injustice pick of the week. There was one Injustice, yes. Yeah. And there were 12 number one issues picked this year. Huh. That's not bad. I don't like picking number ones all the time. So that's actually, that it's only less than a quarter of them. So that's it. That's picks of the week by the numbers. Those are your numbers for the year. What are, did you did you make any major conclusions out of that? that no, that, I mean, other than it was a weird year because we had only 43 picks. Uh, I think it's not, it's a down year for Marvel. In terms of its major books, we've talked about this before. You know, if you look at the Marvel picks, Doctor Doom, Fantastic Four, Hawkeye, Freefall, those are all sort of fringe books. And I, mean, I realize it's silly calling Fantastic Four fringe, but that's where we are in the world. Mm-hmm. 
Maybe not for long. Where's my it was just an announcement. Right. Other books: Captain America, Marvel Snapshots, Iron Man, not fringy. Punisher Soviet, Strange Academy. You know, those are the kind of books. Punisher Soviet was this year. I guess that would have been really early. It ended early in the year, yeah. yeah, before the pandemic. It's it's been a long year, Josh. It's been so long that Superman Smashes the Clan ended this year. I had a lot when I was looking through stuff. I had a lot. I was like, was Jimmy Olsen this year or last? And like it was, and there was that big gap in the middle. So things mm-hmm. that would have ended earlier in the year didn't until later, or some things I guess went longer because of it. All right, and it doesn't mean that we didn't pick high profile Marvel books. I mean, Spider Man got a pick, Captain America got a pick, Daredevil got a pick. Like I said, Iron Man got a pick. I mean, I think Thor. There's, there's good stuff going on there. Just I think the thing is, it's like it's not happening. It's not happening in Avengers. I think it's almost like, and, the, and their main events, you know, their big events are not. Although you, you had an Empire pick, didn't you? Or was it? No, we just no. talked about the issue enjoying Okay, the first yeah. one. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Zero. Yeah. Books of Magic, The Butcher of Paris, Five Years. That was great. All kinds of stuff got picked this year. So, you know, weird year, but good year. Nice range. Yeah, fun year. Fun to talk mm-hmm. about comics. And let's finish the show up as we... Go way over. So, as we said before several times, this is the final pick of the week show of the year, but it is not the final show of the year. So let's talk Lord, about no. what we've got left. Right behind this show on the feed is our book explode, our last book explode of the year, Dragon Hoops by Gene Luen Yang, our book of the year, our collective edition of the year. Deceased will be our series of the year. Dragon Hoops will be our book of the year. You can check that out on the feed right behind this show. Great book, really great book. Josh has a talk explode coming up next week, or I guess this week. Yeah. This week he'll be talking to Christopher Cantwell, who was just on the list as having been picked twice this year. Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom twice. Doctor Dooms and co-creator of Halt and Catch Fire, one of our favorite series of the last decade, and uh, currently co-showrunner of the Paper Girl series, and a terrific comic writer, incredible comic book writer, really terrific. He's writing Iron Man. He wrote that great Fantastic Four body horror horror book, which was not my cup of tea in terms of horror, but it was it was great. In its own. A good number of books for Karen Berger at Vertigo as well. So that's something to look forward to coming out this week. Probably have it on Thursday for you. And then after that, next Sunday, a week from today, once you're listening to this when it comes out, on the 20th, is our All Media Spectacular, in which we close up the year talking about the things we enjoyed. Outside of comics, it's, it's a three-hour spectacular with me and Ron and Josh. And then we're taking a break. It'll be, we'll be back on January 10th with a new pick of the week for you. The last Wednesday of the of this month and the first Wednesday of the next month, we're we're not doing we're not reading the comics for that week, and then we'll read them. But you know what I mean. And then we're yeah back on the ten. We'll be refreshed. We'll be able to mm-hmm. pronounce words and names. Josh will promising. find the joy in in life and comics again. It'll all be fine. I think I eased up over the course of the. <laughs> I think I, I may have been just resentful that I couldn't figure out. A you were so aggro last night. I can't. This all sucks. I don't like anything. It was like. 1 a.m. and I was still working on it and there's like 15 anthologies and it's like, oh. Yeah, I get you. Listen, I, I told you the last three books I read total 200 pages. If I'd been you, I'd have been pissed. I will just go through the rest of this okay. since you have had to do so much of that work. No worries. You can head over to ifanboy.com. You can find all of our podcasts. You can find links to our video shows that have been uploaded. You can mm-hmm. find all of the fantastic writing that had taken place over that had taken place over the years at ifanboy.com from our beloved staff and friends. You can find out what the pick of the week is before this show comes out so that you are prepared uh, mm-hmm. by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy, following at ifanboy on Twitter and at ifanboycomics on Instagram which also features the best of the weekend panels, et cetera. I have some of those. I got, I had some good ones last week and I just didn't get to it. It was like Sunday. I'm going to, this week I'm going to give a couple. You can follow us individually on Instagram at CS Kilpatrick and at J a Flanagan. You can subscribe to our YouTube page over to youtube.com slash I fanboy. You keep up to date on the old video show reuploads. Uh, this past, I didn't edit. I didn't do this. Can you tell I what they are? For yes. I did want to call one out this past week. We had some fun ones. We had a mini in which Josh did some bin diving for old Thor covers. Which, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, Josh, we shot. Is that in Hanley's? Jim Hanley's Universe. We were there to interview somebody, and we had a few minutes to wait. So we said, let's shoot a mini real quick. And so we shot a mini of you just going through. I think through. we were there to do, was it Kevin O'Neill? Or Garth Ennis? It might have been. Who knows? We did so many interviews there. But we were standing around, and we just and you, you, just, you just riffed off of old Thor covers while we were waiting. And uh, there's one huh. point where... The, <laughs> One of the guys working there has to get past you. <laughs> you're like, come on. It was a fun one. It's a manic one. Cool. It's like it's a little bit like you're on cocaine, but it's a fun 
like when I do the show by myself. It's a fun mini to check out if you haven't already. And then we did a vault episode. That's where we took a look at old collected editions. I don't remember which ones those were, but those are, those are always fun. And then, of course, the Emerald City Comic Con 2008. Oh, great show. Maybe the best show. Uh, that was fun. That was actually a really great show to go to, yeah. So those are the, those are the ones out there right now. There you go. If you like this show, you can leave a uh, star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other place lets you do that. I think Spotify and Amazon are now hosting those things. So if you, you want to send those that way, yep. better yet, first-hand uh, recommendations always uh, encouraged on social media or even from six feet away from somebody while you're both wearing masks. And you're like, hey, it's you, you need a new podcast? <laughs> and they'd be like, it's not new. They've been around forever. And you'd be like, put your mask on. Oh, sorry. It's it's been <laughs> they've been around a really long time. Well, you should you. listen to it. Yeah. Uh, maybe you stop for a while. Why don't read comics? That doesn't stop a lot of people. <laughs> you should it's <laughs> you can do that. Uh you can uh that's it. That's all. That's the end of the show. Oh, there you go. I'm Josh. I'm Connor and we'll be back next year with Pick of the Week, but like I said, there'll be more for you next week, so see you then. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. That's the island greeting that we send to you From the land where palm trees sway Here we know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Malikalikimaka is the wise way To say Merry Christmas A very Merry Christmas A very, very, very Merry Christmas to you